Welcome to Sports Rivals with Monty and Ernie, lively, entertaining banter on sports topics you want to hear. Sports rivals and gang, we are going to get after it. We're going to talk a little bit about NCAA basketball, especially with March Madness coming quickly upon us. We're going to talk a little bit about the NBA. We're going to talk maybe a little bit about the NFL. But Ernie, first, last night on the Manoa campus, the University of Hawaii with their first men's basketball sellout since 2016. It was an incredible environment, and the Rainbow Warrior men pull off a 72 to 67 victory. They now are 21 and 9, 12 and 6 in the conference. So now in the Big West, Ernie, there's a log jam at the top. Right. Riverside, uh, Irvine, and Santa Barbara at 13 and 5. UH and Fullerton at 12 and 6. Still anyone's game with two regular season games to go. UH does have a game uh, with Santa Barbara this week. So a potential where they can move up there. But let's just talk about the fact that it was a sellout at the, at the game last night. It was crazy energy at the, at the Stan Sheriff. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Cause I remember those. I remember the sellouts. I remember the sellouts when we were going, going to Manoa. I mean, yeah, that place can rock basically. I mean, it wasn't even, uh, boy, when was the last sellout prior to this year? It was 2016, so it's got to be that team that went to the dance where, where the Hawaii team beat, beat Jalen Brown's Rouse, Cal Bears Cal- in, the, in the tournament. That has to be uh, 2016 when we have the last sellout. And I actually was surprised when notice came out on Friday that the game was a sellout, especially coming off a heartbreaking loss on Thursday where right. they blew, again, an 11-point halftime lead to lose by two to Riverside. They could be sitting in first place, but... But they responded last night. The crowd responded. And when you have 10,000 people in there screaming, it's very hard for the team to let down. And they play with high energy. Jovan McClanahan, 27 points. Um, Bernardo De Silva doesn't play with an ankle injury. Backup, seven-foot freshman. Uh, Sec comes in, 14 points, 16 rebounds. Playing a heck of a, a heck of a game, just wow. controlling the boards, and UH prevails 72-67. It was just so nice to see that much excitement and that many people in the stands, all in white. It was a whiteout game. What a way to send off Samuta Avea, uh, Kamakahepa, and the one gentleman that hasn't played at all because of, of injuries. The three seniors got sent off on a winning note. So that was extremely nice to see up at uh, at Manoa last last night yeah but with 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 all these uh you know teams in question regards to uh which team will be able to uh you know i guess try to get the upper hand in the tournament i mean it's it's gonna be tough i mean you're talking about five teams that can vie for it most likely as far as the big dance is concerned you're not gonna you most likely will not get an at-large out of this conference so yeah, you're definitely not going to get an at large. Yeah, so it's going to yeah. be winning it is is you're going to have paramount. to win it. You're going to have to win the Big West tournament, no matter who it is that goes in there. And right now, it seems like it's completely wide open. 
as most of the country is, and we'll get back to that. But that's Ernie, I'm Monty. Together we are the Sports Rivals, and I was riveted. You guys all know that we are part of the Hawaii Sports uh, sports radio network and i was riveted listening to alan and kuule the other day talking about the comments or their feelings about june jones's letter to the editor uh with his concerns let's phrase it that way his concerns concerning the search for a new athletic director dave matlin as we all know is retiring after eight years right he's gonna uh, give up the reins in june there's a search committee that has been formed um and Alan and Kuule were not having it <laughs> at all in terms of June Jones's comments. So I kind of I went back and I reread exactly what they're talking about. So I want to unpack this for a little bit because I think in Hawaii, where Ernie and I are, for those of you that are listening nationally, University of Hawaii sports is our professional team. That's who we don't have a professional team. Everyone is galvanized by university sports specifically football. I mean, football has been and always will be for the most part, the revenue producing sport that finances the rest of the University of Hawaii sports programs. Right. We do have, if the men's team would consistently sell out, that'd be one thing. We do have strong volleyball programs that produce revenue, but there's 21 total sports of which 18 of them are money losers. Right. You know, so... Getting an AD that has a football sense is probably important. So let's let's start here, Ernie. Let's kind of unpack. Let's start first with what June Jones said. Then we'll talk about the search committee. What June Jones said, and I think this is what Alan and Kule were having the biggest issue with, was that he said that the composition of the search committee is not a, not a reflection of the diversity required for this position at the end of the day. So who's on this uh, on this committee? You have two University of Hawaii administrators. Um, you have a Supreme Court justice who was a former athlete. She was a former athlete. You have Laura Beeman, women's basketball coach, Charlie Wade, men's volleyball coach, and Al Chi, former head of Koa Nui Nui and a vice president of Texaco. So that's kind of the search committee that has been put together. June Jones, from his perspective, was saying, there is no Polynesian, there is no black representation, specifically what he meant, people who were a part of the football program. So let's kind of just start there, Ernie. The composition with a couple of, with three females, with a, a native Hawaiian person in Al Chi in there, there is obviously diversity, which is what Alan and Kule were really, really uh, bothered by. Right. But is there any truth to what June Jones is saying? I mean, I, I could, I mean, in a perfect world, you know, if you could get the right people in regards to, uh, you know, uh, those with the football acumen who could actually go out there and actually have influence to bring in, you know, the athletic director that would, uh, you know, that could springboard uh, UH football. That would be great. But the truth be told, I mean, you, uh, UH out there, as far as the playing field is concerned, isn't a destination where I would see athletic directors are lining up to go. I would have to say that this committee would have to find somebody out there with the potential, you know, to make that happen. As we see the football landscape as it is, we don't even have the stadium up right now. We're playing that in what a nine, ten thousand uh, seat stadium at that. 
So that revenue, what they're looking for, isn't going to happen uh, for quite a while. Unless this football program can actually uh, exceed expectations, uh, it's not happening in the next few years. So does this uh, seven-panel committee have, uh, I guess, the background or, or influence in finding it? I'm not sure. I'm not sure what's, what... Uh, I can see where a provost could come in. I mean, I'm sure they have connections. Uh, I love Laura Beeman. I'm not sure how far reaching her uh, position would actually right. go to search for that. Th- Even Charlie Wade. Charlie Wade is a very successful uh, volleyball coach. You know, we're looking at possibly back-to-back-to-back national champions. But how does that relate in regards to getting, you know, the type of high-profile AD out there that you you really need. So yeah, so you you've mentioned the name. So I think in fairness to everyone, let's go through all seven people who's on here. Michael Bruno is the UH Manoa Proverse that Ernie referred to. Susan Ekor, the president and chief operating officer of AIO, is a part of the committee. Laura Beeman and Charlie Wade, as we spoke about. Al Chi, former chair of Aha Ahanui Koa of Anui Nui, is on there. Sabrina McKenna is the Hawaii Supreme Court Associate Justice and a former UH athlete is on there. And then Scott Sinnott, UH Manoa faculty athletics representative, who is a psychology major, and he provides the the, the mental health component that they're looking for. So I think like what Ernie was talking about. Is this the right mix of people to get what UH needs? And I think the first step is maybe there's we have there has to be an alignment in what it is that we're actually looking for. Right. June Jones is looking for someone that what he was when he initially came in with a national clout and the ability to raise money. He was responsible for changing the name from Rainbows to to Warriors, Warriors and then right. eventually Rainbow Warriors. He was the one that was responsible for changing our colors and bringing in black. black right. You know, he was always on the cutting edge of that and had the clout to be able to finance some of these things or to attract financial means in order to build a program. And like it or not, the world of college athletics right now is all about how much money can you raise? How much money can you bring in right. um, to help support a program, especially one in the position that UH is in right now through no fault of their own, that they're playing on campus in a 10,000-seat stadium on the verge of losing their ability to stay a Division One program. And I think that's what June Jones is most concerned about. If you bring someone in who's just interested in managing the 21 sports without a focus on bringing in money and building a football program that can finance everything else, you're in jeopardy of losing your division one status. And I don't think in Hawaii, being that that's all we have, I'm not sure that most people in Hawaii want University of Hawaii to be a D2 team. I mean, I think we have those in HPU and UH Hilo and Chaminade. They play at the D2 level. They were formerly in the NAIA. I think we want to maintain our D1 status and be a part of of the big boys. I think from that perspective, I think there's some truth to that. You know, so I may disagree. I, I think if you take it, Literal when he says there's not enough diversity. If I'm a female, I think I would take offense to that because oh, yeah. there are three females yeah. on this list. If you say that there's not any Polynesian representation, if you're Al Chi, maybe you can take uh, you know offense to that because you are you know someone who is a native Hawaiian or come from native Hawaiian ancestry. But I think 
for me, I look at this as June Jones just saying, hey, there's been a lot of Samoan or Hawaiian or other Tongan Polynesian players that have come through the system. A name that resonates with me that would have been perfect for me on this committee is Jesse Sapolu, who we yeah. spoke about last week when you were talking about your all-time favorite right. offensive line. He is a preeminent star UH football player, a star NFL player with a national reach and national clout. I thought he would have been a perfect person. Maybe they asked, maybe they asked him, but I thought that he would have been a somebody like that. Artie Wilson, another one that's on the basketball side. Russ, part of the, part Russ of the, Francis. Yeah, part of the final, part of the Fab Five from the, the early 70s. Uh, I don't remember them, but it was in your prime, Ernie. <laughs> but I think I'm surprised that he wasn't part of this. So Me too. I get it. I get that there could be, you can nitpick and say, hey, it is a diverse group. There's three women. There's a native Hawaiian on there. Um, but at the end of the day, I think June Jones was specifically referring to representation from the football program who are our most famous athletes, you know, for the most part. Um, that's not happening. Now, the other point of contention he had, Ernie, that we spoke about is that the clause in there that they're looking for somebody that has at least three years of athletic experience or running an athletic program or being a part of an athletic program. To his point and to yours that you just made earlier, at UH, we're not going to attract the biggest names out there. No. That's just an impossibility with our level of resources. So you need to take a chance on somebody who might be young, somebody who's up and coming, somebody who thinks outside the box that may not necessarily be coming from an athletic background. He could be coming from the private sector, from the finance world, from banking. Somebody that wants a change, that has a passion for sports, that is able to... Uh, to help build and lead a program that doesn't necessarily have to be building from the bottom up. He's afraid that with that stipulation, we're going to eliminate possible people that may be interested in doing this. Right. Now, that could be true. Um, that, that certainly could be true. So I think, I don't know, Ernie, I'll turn this over to you. I think from my perspective, I think he was well thought out. Yes, of course, he's coming at it from a splan of football. That's where his passion lay, and that's what he built. I mean, right. the last time we were super successful is right. when he was here. The fact that he's still interested in UH and is trying to participate in the process, I think is kind of admirable. I mean, mm -hmm. like him or not, and there's a lot of people who love him, and there's a lot of people who don't love yeah, him. Very I mean, polarizing. character, morality, those things may be an issue when you talk about June Jones. So I'm not talking about him as a person. I'm talking about the context of what he's saying. I believe there's some truth in there. I get where Alan and, and Kule got a little bit offended, but I also think that there's some truth in there, and I think there is a happy medium. I do also agree that it's kind of awkward. Like, Laura Beeman and, and Charlie Wade are going to be a part of the committee to pick their boss. Yeah. So in the future, does that mean they have more clout right. because they're responsible for the hiring of this person? The perception could be that that's the case. I would have probably steered away from from coaches on this actual committee and maybe have them as a resource as you go through the process to say, hey, what do you think about this? Mm -hmm. Rather than be a part of the committee, because I think they're always going to be attached to whoever's hired will always be attached in some way to Charlie Wade and Laura Beeman. Yeah, so. and, I, and I would hope that the committee, that the, this search committee, the actual committee who actually uh, makes the final decision on the hiring are not one of the athletic director's subordinates. That is, in my opinion, a big conflict of interest for every reason what you said 
and more. Uh, that should not happen, in my opinion. I'm not sure if this is something that uh, has already uh, uh, broke precedence in you know in in other colleges and universities who have athletic programs out there. But in my you know from my standpoint, it would be just a little bit more cleaner if uh, you know those who are your subordinates aren't actually doing the hiring process. Imagine both of us were in a business world. Imagine one of our subordinates actually. Uh, interviewing us for our position where we later have to you know uh oversee obligated exactly exactly there's there's going to be some type of bias to this i can see from that standpoint but you know i'm gonna i'm gonna take it for what it is it says search committee i'll leave it at that but when i say search committee if you want that process i would say that most of your candidates are going to be assistant athletic directors at other schools, uh, not. Sh- I mean, uh, of course, they're gonna. The good ones are probably gonna stay. You know, with their programs, the good ones are probably getting paid more at where they're at as than, assistant, exactly yeah. than where the University of Hawaii is at. I mean, uh, let's be truthful, guys. There's. I mean, you don't. Sabin makes a lot more money. <laughs> You know, then the athletic director of UH, and I'm saying it's not that way, but you know, athletic directors from those from an SEC school, from a Big Ten school, from a Pac uh, Ten school, you know, they're gonna be hard to come by. Come by. I mean, you're gonna have to. You, I can see June Jones' point. You're dwindling your talent pool by putting in those stipulations. Yeah, I, I think that's the whole thing. I mean, we all wish, I mean, Ernie, myself, everybody in Hawaii hope that we find the best qualified person to lead the program for the next 10, 20 years. We need to find another Stan Sheriff, somebody who's legendary up on that Manoa campus. That's really what we need because it is a different world now. There is so many different components. There's a huge financial component. There's an NIL component of which Hawaii really can't compete at all right right now. There's a mental health component that has become such a big part about the total uh, student athlete experience. So there's all kinds of things that that come into play. But I think at the end of the day, this is a hire that we need to get right, especially right now, because money has to come in to buy us time until those people that were at Aloha Stadium to say goodbye to the stadium last night can tear that sucker down and build the new one minimally three to four years from now. Is UH going to survive as a Division One program for the next four years yeah, if we don't get this right? We yeah. have to, have to, have to get this yeah, right. Yeah, and the immediate, immediate thing would be from the financial standpoint. I think you, you square down the base, the basis of what you need to do as an athletic program. You're going to, with uh, UH football, you know, so supposed to be being the breadwinner, uh, you know, tied under lock and key right now for the next few years. You're going to need someone to get those books in order and prep ourselves, you know, to bring in the coaches, to bring, and, and to me, get the grassroots players because Hawaii has the athletes. They just go everywhere else. Yeah. You know, and if, if we kept... Do. If we kept everybody in-house, you know, and I think we're a nice enough destination where just, you know, the the draw of Hawaii would bring in, you know, some perspective. You'd at least get a visit, in my opinion. Hey, come to Hawaii for a visit. 
who would say no to that? Come on. Right. I mean, at least get them out here and, you know, uh, you know, we'll take it from there. But, yeah, it's going to be a tough choice. I mean, I, I, I don't want to downplay any of the uh, people on this committee. I mean, yeah. they, they definitely have clout. It's just it's mm-hmm. just that. And I'm not saying you have to replace any of them. All seven can be a part of this. But maybe to his point, you add a Jesse Sapolo or someone else. Yeah. Who's to say that this is only seven people that have to be? This is not the United States Supreme Court where there's a finite number of people. Yeah. Um, so I, I think to his point, that's it. Now, if there wasn't that three-year stipulation, gang, the biggest problem with this whole three-year stipulation in athletics is that prevents Ernie from applying because Ernie would have been the perfect candidate <laughs> to be the next athletic director of the University of Hawaii, but he comes from a banking background with no athletic experience other than Koei <laughs> Soccer Club. So that eliminates him oh, right shucks. off the top. Ah, <laughs> oh, You know, I want to hire you as my, my assistant AD. Oh, right. In charge of marketing the half-court shots. Yeah, exactly. exactly. The games. Yeah. All yeah, right. Exactly. All right. So now we're both out. <laughs> But anyway, I thought it was important enough to discuss because University of Hawaii Sports is so important. June Jones is such a lightning rod one way or the other. Yeah. His proponents, his detractors. Um, but when Alan and Kule, especially Alan, was fired up saying he's never going to listen to anything that comes out of June Jones' mouth ever <laughs> again because it's ignorant. Props to you, Alan, for taking a stand and being strong on that. But that's Ernie. I'm Monty. We're going to move on from University of Hawaii Athletics. We're going to stay in the college world. Ernie, NCAA basketball. We haven't spoke a lot about it this year, mainly because Gonzaga hasn't been the same. Michigan is struggling. North Carolina was struggling. So, but... One thing that I noticed, Kentucky was strongly. A lot of the big ones were struggling, but they're starting to turn it around. Mm-hmm. Now, with your North Carolina Tar Heels and my Michigan Wolverines. Big wins. They're big wins over the weekend, but they're still, as of right now, Joel Lenardi's bracketology has both of them as the next four in. So out of the tournament. Now, a week and a half, two weeks ago, Kentucky was in the same boat. But Ernie, I've watched Kentucky play three times in the last two weeks. Not the whole game, but parts of games. And they look out of their mind right now. I would not want to play this Kentucky team going into the SEC tournament, going into the NCAA tournament. They beat Auburn by 40 yesterday. Oscar Thiebway is back uh, playing like the player of the year he was last year. The freshmen are starting to play a little bit better. Kentucky looks really, 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 really strong. Your North Carolina Tar Heels. The most losses ever by a preseason number one. Yeah. 11 losses. Yesterday's victory over Virginia was their first quad one win of the season. They were one and nine. What has gone wrong so far? And is there time to turn it around? I think the loss of Manic was huge. I think the perimeter shooting from that standpoint is something that they, uh, they didn't expect that would, would happen. Uh, people haven't really uh, stepped up. I mean, they brought back everybody except Manic. So mm-hmm. to me, and then they brought in Nance. They were thinking that Nance was going to be Manic this year. He hasn't been until yesterday. The yeah. guy went crazy yesterday. So maybe he's getting comfortable in that Manic role. But that team, I expected to roll through the regular season I, with I, everyone coming back, and it had yeah. just not happened so far. It's 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 tough. It's disappointing. I mean, I, I watching 
a couple of weeks ago watching North Carolina Duke, which I, you know, that's the, like the highlight of my bas- of my NCAA basketball, uh, Duke, North Carolina. I mean, but both teams were terrible. Both teams were terrible. I mean, it was it made for it made for uh, a good TV as far as bringing up past histories and whatnot. But you know, it it was it was hard to watch. It was hard to watch. It wasn't the uh, you know the basketball that I saw last year on this North Carolina oh, team. I mean, you're they were playing against a Duke team that is basically all freshmen. You know that Duke is another one that's starting to play better now. The freshmen are getting acclimated; they're starting to peak as we. But North Carolina gets another crack at them next weekend, and the season finale is Duke at North Carolina. I think they're going to take them. I think North Carolina is probably going to win that game as well. And let's not forget, gang. I mean, I think the expectations for this year, being that North Carolina made it all the way to the championship game last year and returned everybody but Manic, that they were going to roll through the regular season. They struggled last year too. Yeah. They got hot right at this time of the year, like they're doing now over the last week. If they can continue that momentum, there's no reason why with the talent that they have, the same essential talent they had last year, that they can't get on a run and do the same thing. But first, they got to get into the dance. And right now, they're on the outside looking in, according to prognosticators. Yeah, they're going to have to go high in the ACC tournament. I I think they got to at least get to the championship game for that to happen. Or at least make a very good showing if, but anything anything short of the quarterfinals is NIT. They're, they're at Florida State this week, and then they're home to Duke. I think they'll beat Florida State. If they lose to Florida State, that's going to be painful. That's going to be a tough one. Florida State had a miracle comeback against Miami yesterday, but they're 8-20 and 20 on the season, so they cannot lose that one. And then in the tournament, they're going to have to win at least one you know, in, in order to, to get in there. My Michigan Wolverines, they're now 17-12. and 12. They're 11-7 and seven in the Big Ten, but they lost some heartbreaking uh, games early on. Right now, they're on the out outside looking in they have at illinois at indiana this week if they can win at least one of those and then win one in the tournament maybe they can ease themselves in my gonzaga bulldogs knock off st mary's last night in the revenge game they have now tied st mary's as co-champs of the mountain i mean the west coast conference their 11th consecutive regular season championship they're playing much better now Timmy has always been Timmy, but Strother is playing a lot better. They're playing well heading into the tournament. So some of the the teams that have kind of faded early are now playing really, really well. As of right now, the number one uh, seeds would be Kansas, who is on a roll, the defending national champs. They have 15 quad one wins on the year. Alabama with Brandon Miller, the superstar freshman. Controversial at this point, but a superstar talent. Uh, Purdue, although they lost again, would be another number one seed. Uh, And then I think the fourth number one seed would be Houston. I think those are the four favorites to be the number one seeds i don't see houston getting upset i think they're gonna roll through their conference tournament they're yeah. kind of like the gonzaga of this year yeah only two they're losses. gonna have yeah they're they're probably gonna get in alabama is gonna struggle in that sec tournament they're 15 and 1 in conference play watch out for kentucky i tell you that kentucky wildcats look really really good at this point in time so Ernie, do you have, I know your favorite is North Carolina, do you have somebody that you think is playing well that maybe people aren't talking to or you see as a favorite? I mean, I'm looking at Baylor. Baylor looks really good. I mean, that their whole conference looks good. 
Uh, you know, Baylor, Texas is playing lights out over there. I, I know, think they could have 10 or 11 teams yes. get into the dance. Yes. They yes. have a 16 and 13 um, team in West Virginia that's right now in the dance. 15 and 14 Oklahoma is on the outside looking in, but they could get in. If Oklahoma gets in and Texas Tech gets in, then the entire Big 12 gets in. That would be nuts. Yeah, that would be crazy. I mean, you already got Kansas. You know how they are. The Kansas State is in the top 20 over there. Whoo! That, I mean, they have the last two national champions, Baylor two years ago, Kansas last year. And right now, they're probably one of those teams are probably the odds on favor to win again this year. Although it's really, really difficult to go back to back. So it, for it, Kansas it to is, do it again. It is. But I think I think their conference as a whole is battle tested. I think that's what you're going to see in the tournament. You know, those teams that have been battle tested know what to bring in, when to win the big games. Uh, they've done it. Already. It's like it's like the SEC in football. I mean, you you. You know, iron sharpens iron. That's yeah, the way that's it is. That's true. That, that is definitely true. So although this year seems to be completely wide open, where I, I think that this could be the year where some really surprising team, like a Creighton or, or somebody that comes <laughs> from a 7, 8, 9, 10 seed even, that North can Carolina. actually win a national <laughs> championship. It could definitely, it could definitely happen. It, maybe even a mid-major type team like a St. Mary's. Um, that could get hot because that team is for real. They really are a solid team. So it is getting close. I know conference tournaments start this week with some of the smaller ones. Most conference tournaments are next weekend. Next week, Sunday, that's going to be the selection Sunday. And then we are ready for March Madness. I can't wait. This is going to be the best time of the year. Yeah, this is going to be this is going to be anybody's ball game. I mean, Boy, to to do your brackets, you know, with this type of, I mean, it's 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 gonna be it's gonna be unreal. I mean, get ready for those at least for the first two rounds. Get ready for the upsets galore to happen because I think it's it's gonna happen this year. It sure is. It's gonna be a wild, wild ride. So. Ernie, let's transition. Again, that's Ernie Imonti. We are the Sports Rivals based here in Honolulu, Hawaii, part of the Hawaii Sports Radio Network. NBA, not a whole lot. The, the week started on Thursday, so there's not a whole lot that happened. I know your Celtics had a last-second buzzer-beating victory against the Philadelphia 76ers yesterday. Um, Jason Tatum was celebrating his three to the point where he didn't even see that 70-footer swish in <laughs> just after the buzzer. That was funny. He's like, wait, what? Unsuccessful. What Unsuccessful shot. I know. It was barely out. But the, the Celtics continue to lead the East. Milwaukee, Giannis, first was his wrist. Now it's, it's his squad, knee. Yeah. He sits out uh, today, but they win their 14th in a row, beating the Phoenix Suns. I still think it's one of those two teams. Yeah. If they're healthy, I think it's one of those two things. It is. As, as great as Embiid is, um, playoff Harden is not the same. I just, I think it's going to be Milwaukee and Boston, which is why I, I still think that number one seed is important. It is. I think it's important for your Celtics to secure that. It is. It is. It's, it's not only that. You're going to get home home court advantage, uh, and, and you want that against Milwaukee. You know. And if you're going to be in that second seed, you're going to have to play Philadelphia because I don't think Philadelphia is going to relinquish that third seed. 
So you don't want to play, if you fall to the second, you don't want to play Philadelphia and then follow with Milwaukee, you know, to get to the NBA Finals. So, yeah, they got a slim half-point lead uh, with the Milwaukee Bucks. We don't know when uh, Giannis is coming back. Uh, I'm hoping the law of averages uh, comes back and Boston can uh, separate themselves, give at least a little bit more cushion uh, to get that lead. On the west side, Denver got demolished the other night from Memphis. I think they were losing by one time, almost by 40 points. Uh, you know, make it a little bit respectable, you know, losing by, I think, well, like 16 at, at the end. Uh, but the West is a conference that's like the NCAA men's basketball tournament, wide open. It is. I, I, in the East, I think one more comment. I think the New York Knicks are playing great ball, five wins in a row. They look like they could make some noise. Jalen Brunson is playing out of his mind. Yeah, he's he's crazy. really been playing really well. In the West, I got to talk my Los Angeles Lakers. They're on a three-game winning streak now. Um, today, they get down by 27 points in the I, second quarter. I turned off Ernie the TV. turned off the I TV because he felt bad for me. And the Lakers <laughs> losing by 27, so he turns it off. Lo and behold, Lakers defense starts to kick in because it wasn't shooting. AD was brilliant, 30 points, 15 rebounds, 4 assists, 3 blocks, 3 steals, hit the clutch shot down the down the stretch. Uh, Jared Vanderbilt played, Luca went crazy to start the game. After that, Jared Vanderbilt did an incredible job with him. I, 15 points, 17 rebounds for Vanderbilt. The Lakers still can't shoot. They still can't shoot a lick from three. I think we were like six for 27. Uh, and then Dallas started off 12 for 20, finished 20 for 50 around there. But they find a way to get the victory, a crucial victory for the Los Angeles Lakers. Now, LeBron tweaked his foot again. It was noticeably hobbling. So he has the broke hand from the All-Star game, so he can't <laughs> shoot. Now he has a problem with his foot. It's going to be interesting to see, can he play through this? Because again, if he has to sit out, especially with D'Angelo Russell out with a sprained ankle, that's going to make it hard for the Lakers to continue their quest to get up there. But they're now one game back of the 10th spot of the Pelicans. They're at... 29 and 32, one game behind the Pelicans, and still within striking, uh, they're only two and a half games back of Dallas for the sixth position. So Ernie's absolutely right. Even if I think Denver is the best team and Jokic is, again, the best player, um, I don't think anyone is really afraid of them because there's no history to support the fact that Denver is going to be able to one, stay healthy with Murray and Porter and then keep it all together to win. Memphis, um, they've been there for the last couple of years. Can they take the next step? And then there's Sacramento, who's new to this. They haven't been in the playoffs since I was a little kid, you know, since Chris Webber was there, (laughs) you know, so they're at the number three spot. Phoenix looks questionable. Can Kevin Durant get acclimated? it quick enough to make a difference I don't know and then the Clippers seem to be playing well although the Nuggets are rolling them right now in the first half uh, today so you're right Golden State still struggling hit or miss they're all bunched up there the West is a crapshoot meaning if my Lakers are healthy and they get in they got just as good a chance as anybody else and I think they're gonna get in I mean I saw I saw odds on the Lakers actually uh, getting it I think they're going to get in at least for the playing game. And, and I find this very hard to be because, like you said, they're only two and a half games 
out of that six spot, there was a stat that I heard or a percentage uh, odds that they only had a 15% chance to, to make the playoffs. I, f- I found that very uh, amusing, you know, being that, again, this Western Conference is so tightly packed. I mean, like you said, all they got to do is win. A, if, if they can stretch their, uh, you know, win streak from three to maybe go another two or three more wins, they'll have momentum, they'll have a six-game winning streak. I guarantee you, if they win three in a row, somebody from the likes of Utah, Golden State, Minnesota, and New Orleans is going to lose. And, you know, Lakers jump into that playing spot now. How they position themselves in that Western Conference is going to be crucial for them to make any particular noise. Because even though Denver doesn't have the history, they are uh, a terrific home team. They've only lost four games at home. Uh, Jokic is for real. If he remains healthy, the guy on and off court numbers is historically great. I mean, no one's even close to him. No one. Not not Giannis, not Tatum. No one is close to him as far as on and off court. And that guy's gonna be that guy's gonna be playing like thirty five minutes, uh, thirty to thirty five minutes to forty minutes, you know, in the playoffs. So uh, I still see them as formidable, even though. Uh, Memphis uh, did a number on them. Memphis is just that kind of team. Yeah. Well, speaking of Memphis, and this is where I think for my Lakers, this next five, six games are going to be so critical to the Lakers to survive this. Tuesday night, we're at Memphis. That's going to be a tough one coming off today's uh, victory over Dallas. Then the next night, we're at OKC, a team that we're right... They were right in the fight with. And then on Friday night, it's Minnesota who we're fighting with as well. Then on Sunday, it's the Warriors who we just beat on on Saturday, uh, on Thursday that we have. And then it's Memphis at home again. So we have Memphis twice, Golden State, Minnesota, and OKC. All teams ahead of the Lakers at this point in time. So they control their own destiny yeah, to a stretch. But if they go one and four in this stretch, it's, it's going to be all she wrote to yeah, me. Yeah, it's, 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 it's going to be over because you only have 20 games Most left. Most teams have only like 20, 21 games left. I mean, I mean, you lose three in a row. You put yourself back down. You're going to have to go in an amazing run to finish off the regular season in order to make yourself relevant and kind of hope that one of those teams goes on a similar fall. That's why when when Boston played Philly the other day, uh, that put them four games ahead. Now they hold the tiebreaker. Philadelphia is essentially five games back of Boston mm-hmm. with only 21 games to go. If Boston goes, wins two-thirds of their games, go 14-7, and seven, Philly is going to go, they're going to have to go 19-3. and three. They're not gonna. They're not. They're not gonna get the number one seed. It, 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 yeah. The run is the run to the number one seed is, is Boston and Milwaukee. I, I would agree. So again, that's Ernie Imonti. We are the sports rivals, talking a lot of University of Hawaii politics, talking NCAA hoops, touching on my hot Lakers and his red hot Celtics in the NBA. But you know what? I want to transition. We've been teasing this for the last couple of weeks. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on this, Ernie, but let's go ahead and do our favorite players by position with baseball. 
So I will go first. Spring training has started and you would be surprised. You guys all know that I'm a huge Dodger fan and there is some Dodger influence here. Um, but I'm a mixed match of a whole lot of people. So I'm going to start off with my catcher, the greatest hitting catcher of all time, Mike Piazza, a 66th round draft pick, uh, a favor to Tommy Lasorda to even draft Mike Piazza, became the greatest hitting catcher of all time, had a stellar career with the Los Angeles Dodgers. And just a real quick story. You guys know I love Chris Webber. He was part of my top five favorite players of all time. I'm telling you now, I love Mike Piazza. About 20 years ago, in the very same day, Chris Webber and Mike Piazza got traded. And that was a devastating day for me when Mike Piazza left the Dodgers to go to the New York Mets, where he eventually led them to the World Series. Mike Piazza is my catcher. Steve Garvey, my favorite first baseman. For those of you that are not our age, uh, Steve Garvey was a one of the greatest hitters uh, of his time in the 70s and early 80s. He was one that as a kid, I wrote a letter to the Dodgers for him. He sent back this packet of posters and pictures and autographs it was it was amazing considering magic johnson never responded <laughs> to any of my rsvps steve garvey's my favorite first baseman never made it into the hall of fame though uh, my favorite second baseman chicago cub ryan sandberg he dominated in his time uh, he was the probably to me he was the best second baseman of all time he and joe morgan i think would have uh, that that claim shortstop cal ripkin the iron man i think he did so much for the game of baseball um, over 400 home runs, over 3,000 hits, uh, and the streak that'll never be broken. My favorite third baseman, Wade Boggs. He was peppered, the green monster. He hit, you know, every year, year in, year out, like 350. It was him in the, in the, uh, American League and Tony Gwynn in the National League, just constantly leading the team and hitting. He was a great, great, great hitter. My outfielders, by oldest to youngest, Ricky Henderson. Ricky Henderson would be one of my outfielders. He played forever. He had by far the most stolen bases in history, well over 3,000 hits. One of the most dominating players and something that we'll never see in the game again. Somebody who stole almost 1,500 bases. Now the stolen base champ will be like 30, 40, 50 maybe. He was stealing 130 a year at his time. Every time he got on, it would be like a triple. He'd steal second, he'd steal third, and you couldn't do anything about it. Ken Griffey Jr. He is uh, our age. I mean, he is literally <laughs> our age. Um, that he burst on the scene and as wonderful a career as he had and as staggering as statistics were, it's a shame that once he left Seattle for Cincinnati, his body gave out on him. If it had not, he was well on his way to legitimately eclipsing the records of Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron, uh, but his body broke down on him and he never really got there. Still well over 500 home runs. And then Mike Trout from today's game, three-time MVP, the best player in the game right now. Similarly, though, struggling with his health for the last few years, and he's only 30, but he's been banged up and really struggling with his health for the last couple of years. But Mike Trout is there. By starting right on the pitcher, Greg Maddox, uh, four Cy Young Awards. My starting left-handed pitcher, Clayton Kershaw from the Dodgers. And then my closer, Dennis Eckersley, believe it or not, from the 80s. Wow. Uh, although 
My favorite play of all time was him giving up a home run to Kirk Gibson in the 88 <laughs> World Series. But other than that, he was nails when he got in the game as a closer after being a starter for the first part of his career. He became the first one to ever win 150 games and save 150 games. He was dominant for the A's. So that's my favorite closer. So that's my team. Piazza, Garvey, Sandberg, uh, Ripken, Boggs, Trout, Griffey, Henderson, Maddox, Kershaw, Eck, and the DH. Albert Pujols. Can't leave off <laughs> Sir Albert as my DH. That's, so. that's a very interesting list, knowing that I know that growing up in Hilo, that, uh, you know, you had all that time to watch baseball, gather all the statistics, so... Rush home and turn on TBS. <laughs> <laughs> Cutting all out the sports pages yes. from the advertiser. Yes, and memorizing and, everything. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Okay, well, I'll, I'll, I'll start with my... Uh, I mean, and... These are my fears. Now, who I think is the best for catcher? I, I was I was uh, leaning on this. You know, I, I would like to say Yadier Molina from the St. Louis Cardinals would have been my best catcher, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to Gary Carter. Uh, at this point in time, when he was with Sid Fernandez on on the Mets, I mean that's what really got me. I was a casual baseball fan growing up uh, when Fernandez, Sid Fernandez, uh, you know. Middleton Majors became a, you know, that strikeout artist. I mean, that really intrigued my mind, uh, you know. So with him and Gary Carter playing on the same team, both of those guys, I mean, I just like Gary Carter mm-hmm. just for what he was. I mean, to me, he personified uh, what was good in baseball and whatnot. So he's going to be my number one catcher. My first baseman... It's got to be Albert Pujols. Mm-hmm. This guy would be up for... I mean, the worst thing that happened was when he <laughs> went to the Angels. The guy was on his way to astronomic numbers with the Cardinals. And it, to me, it, it, you know, just the way he left the Cardinals, I think it derailed... Not derailed his career, but it definitely put on the brakes on his career when he went... Uh, you know, over to the Angels. Of course, he came back to the Cardinals. Actually, finished over, which which was right and just. But he's got to be my you know first baseman, first baseman, and my probably my favorite player of, of all time. Second baseman is like you. It's gonna be Rod Carew. I mean, just the guy. Just what if he if he got a base hit is like. All right, let's get ready. let's get ready. Let's get ready for that uh, you know, he's, he's going to he's going to stick second and when he broke the record for most stolen bases in a career when he was with the A's, I mean that that was that was made for made for TV type of uh, you know, anticipation. So he's my second baseman, shortstop. I mean, it's not going I'm a St. Louis uh, Cardinals fan guys, so it's it, it it's it's, it's the wizard the, exactly the the acrobatic uh, flip the wizard of Oz Ozzy Newsom is my Ozzy Smith Ozzy Smith. Smith the greatest defensive shortstop yeah. ever I, I I love that guy uh, until Albert Pujols he was my favorite player uh, third baseman I'm gonna go with George Brett you know I liked him when he was with the Royals I mean I thought I thought he carried that team. Very small market team. I mean, uh, baseball back then isn't how it is now. I, I think it was more, you know, 
I might have the Dragons on top of this, but I think it was more pure as as far as building your teams back then. You know, you didn't really have to, uh, you know, you didn't have this thing about big market, small market, you know. And he was from a small market with the Royals, and he really made that team. Uh, he stuck with me. George Brett is my favorite third baseman. Outfielder, I'm going to go with an, another Cardinal. Willie McGee was out there. You wow. Know, I, 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 I loved him. I'm, I'm going to agree with you. Did you mention Ken Green? Ken yeah. Griffey, okay. Ken Griffey Jr. He, I mean, that guy. And I'm going to go with another Mariner out there, Suzuki. Or oh, Ichiro? Ichiro Suzuki is a, my, you know, my second outfit. So I'm picking two Mariners out there, you know, as far as Battlefield is concerned. My designated hitter is the person you met in Vegas, took a picture with. Oh, Frank Thomas. Yep, the big hurt, you know. And yeah, I still see him in commercials. I mean, turf. Seems like a, a a good personality. Took the time to take a yeah. picture with you in Vegas, so I got to feel that guy's a, a, a good guy. My favorite right-hand pitcher, even though I hated this guy at one point, but I respect him so much, Roger, Roger Clemens. Clemens. Roger Rocket Clemens. Uh, talk about a career where he just dominated. You know, he just dominated his time over there. On the left side... Left-handed pitcher. I'm going to go with a local boy, the guy who really, like I said, mentioned earlier, got me into really following baseball, even though I don't didn't follow the, net, the Mets. And my thing was, back then, everybody in Hawaii loved the Mets. I just wanted to go opposite. You know, when everybody want, liked the Mets, I just wanted to be controversial. So I picked, uh, you know, during that time, the, the uh, St. Louis also had success. So that's why I chose St. Louis, you know, so... But Sid Fernandez, I really loved as a left-handed pitcher. And then my closer, Mariano, Mariano. Rivera. Even yeah. though I hate the Yankees. Again, out of total respect, when Mariano was brought out, the game was over. Yeah, It was literally over. His closing percentage was like lights out. Turn out the lights. Let's go home. Uh, that way we can get out of the parking early. When he was brought in, Folks, it was over. My favorite uh, closer of all time. And the one who had the highest percentage in his Hall of Fame vote was Mariano Rivera. So I kind of complain with, with uh, Ernie's list. Um, Rod Carew, I don't, I, you, you reminded me that he was a second baseman originally uh, with the Minnesota Twins. I only really remember him as a first baseman with the, with the Angels, Angels. When, he, when he went to the, to the Angels and he became uh, their first baseman for, for many, many years. So Rod Carew is a, is a, he's just like he cut from the same mold as the Wade Boggs and the Tony Gwynn unbelievable spray hitters you could not get them out they would find them wherever you played them they would find it so so gang that's our favorite list i'm curious to see what you guys think i like our list because they're kind of all over the place there's not baseball i think is different it's not just one team there's so much yeah, history it is and and there's so much that goes with it that it's it's very easy to have players that you really admire from different teams and both of us had that so that's our list ernie has I, some some Cardinals on there. I have some Dodgers on on mine. My list is better because he has no Dodgers on his. <laughs> so <laughs> my list has to be the stronger list. But I want to turn it over to Ernie, who's got some riveting stuff to cover in his closing thought. Yeah, I just I, I mean I don't want to dog on this guy because I really respect him. You know, I hate the fact that this guy came from Duke. Okay, coming out of Duke, I really hated this guy. 
Uh, I kind of liked him a little bit when he was playing in the NBA. He was a three-point shooter. I'm talking about one J.J. Redick. As an analyst, I love this guy. But he said some uh, bad words. (laughs) (laughs) So in other words, he was speaking the truth. He was. About one of Ernie's teams. He was not my team. One of my, (laughs) you know... One of my favorite players of all time. I think this is what arguably, you know, to me, top five player of all time. He he talked dirt on one Larry Bird, you know, saying that his shooting is overrated. You know, going he was playing he was playing CPA, Monty. You know, so you can tell me your take on top of this because he was going based upon percentages that the shooters of today, you know, just do it more efficiently, taking all those numbers out of context, not knowing the time that these guys, the era that Larry Bird played in, you know, not knowing that the three-point shot was not uh, something that was very uh, prolific during that time. Mm -hmm. And Larry Bird at that time was the best. I mean, he had a McDonald's commercial with Michael Jordan. Uh, One of the best Super Bowl commercials. Yeah, where they were calling, they were basically playing uh, horse. I think it was for a Big Mac or for a quarter pounder or something like that. Michael Jordan versus Larry Bird. Larry Bird put it out there just as long as there's no dunks. And and they they were saying like off the rafters, two bounces, nothing but net. You know, crazy stuff like that. But J.J. Redick, uh, shame on you for being a basketball person to think that percentages, they do mean something. Okay. Percentages do mean something, but they mean something in your error. Okay. Because let's just say this. Who is a better basketball player in your mind, Monty? Being that you're a CPA guy, who is a better offensive player? Kobe Bryant or Damian Lillard? Offensive player? Offensive player. I would say Kobe Bryant. Yes, I would say. And you know what? If you go based upon the stats, Damian Lillard smokes Kobe Bryant. It's not It's not close. Three-point shooting, efficiency, everything. But it's different. It's different the way it is. And I'm, saying, I'm not saying that uh, Damian Lillard is a dog player. He, he, I love Damian Lillard. He had 50 points through three quarters again tonight. Yeah, he's, he, he is great. I mean, and, and I love that he's, he's very loyal to his team. But you got to be blind if you didn't watch Kobe Bryant and see what a special offensive player that man was. I mean, he's a legend, you know, for a reason. You know, you can't put it all on stats. You can't put it all on stats. He referenced, uh, he referenced uh, Steph Curry, which I'll give it to him, is the best uh, shooter of all time. Okay. But Larry is definitely top five. I mean, what he did in a four year span. You know, being one of the only guys to shoot. Back then, if you shot 38% from three, you know, and what, when I talk about uh, medium volume, medium it, medium volume was like four shot, four shot attempts per game. You know, your center shoot has, shoots more than four threes per game in today's uh, mm-hmm. NBA, okay? But 
you know, Larry Bird was shooting five, six, you know, and he was shooting at 42%, you know, which at that time was great. I mean, he, he was like Steph. He won the three-point shooting contest during All-Star Star Weekend. The first three times right. that they had it. Walked into the uh, locker room one year, looked at all his, uh, uh, you know, the players that were going to play with him and basically asked, told them, which one of you guys are going to come in second? I mean, that blatant. Then he goes out and just in his warm-up uniform. He didn't even take off his warm-up uniform and just and, and smoked all of them. And you're talking about good guy. You're talking about, you know, Greg Hodges, who had a better three-point shooter, was a better three-point shooter than him. You're, you know, you're talking about real... Uh, the Steve Kerrs and the Mark Prices. Exactly. Uh, back, back, back then. then. Back then, you know, that were, were legit. Uh, Larry Bird made the three-point shot. I, I think Larry Bird, especially in the fourth quarter, I, I saw a percentage that Larry Bird's three-point percentage in the fourth quarter was around 43%. So not only did he shoot the three, he shot the three during the clutch times, and he broke the backs of his opponents that way. I mean, to me, that's the shooter. That's the greatness that he had. He used it. If he was in today's game, he'd go crazy. I'm telling you what, he'd go crazy. I mean, there are per people of, in, in certain eras that wouldn't translate. Like the people from the 90s where, you know, a lot of physical roughness was like, I don't think a, like, a, a, like a Rick Mahorn would translate into these days game. First, he'd fall out in the first half, you know, uh, a Charles Oakley. They wouldn't translate, you know, but those were the guys Larry Bird was playing against, you know. So there was no let's just say this. There was a championship game against Houston. I believe it was Houston versus. I can't remember. Was it Houston versus Detroit? None of the games in that NBA final went over 100 points. That was the Knicks. The it Knicks. was John Starks and Patrick Ewing against, against the Rockets. Yeah, see, none of those games. Now you're looking at what you just said. Damon Lillard scores 50 points. Well, the other day we had uh, the Kings beating the Clippers 176-175. Yeah, that, and that's, that's today's NBA. You know, so... J.J. Redick, as much as I respect you, as much as I like you as an analyst, I hate you as a basketball player, and now I got another nail to hate you in <laughs> regards to how you, you know, learn your history before well, you make stupid comments like that. I would have to agree with Ernie. I mean, I think Larry Bird is definitely one of the greatest shooters of all time. It, it is a different game. I mean, right now you run to space, so you're constantly running to space. I think... It, it, the only thing that I can think of that J.J. Redick may have been alluding to is, is Larry Bird wasn't the type of player to create his three-point shot the way that Steph Curry does or a James Harden does. Because that's not his game to, with his handles. Kyrie Irving, right. he would get into position, he would know where to go, and he would just basically a set shot. And he would kill you with his set shot and score three. So I think... The style of pay is not localized. But I agree. If he played in today's game, he's so smart. He's so talented. He would have evolved and still found a way to shoot the same percentage. He just would be taking double the shots. I mean, LeBron's taking almost 10 a game. What would Larry Bird do in today's day and age if LeBron is now taking 10 three-pointers a game? Larry Bird would take 10. He'd make four or five. He'd be right there with Steph Curry. He was a phenomenal player. 
shooter. I mean, he won the first three three-point contests in the day and age when all the best participated. If you were the best three-point shooters, you participated. If you were the best dunkers, you participated. That was what it was when they were participating. So Larry Bird in any day and age would have been a phenomenal three-point shooter. I definitely have him up there. There'd be Curry, Clay, Dame, uh, Ray Allen, and uh, Magic Johnson. <laughs> Magic's gotta be on every top five list, no matter what. Nah, he's that. He, I, I agree. I, I think he's one of the top five greatest shooters of all time. JJ Redick, I'm not sure why you went in this regard, other than the fact that you're just you're just advocating for the modern player in a different NBA that creates and takes a massive amount of three-point shots. But J.J. Redick is much more a Larry Bird type of shooter than he is a Steph Curry kind. Mm. He's constantly moving. He gets into the right spot. He catches and shoots, which is what Larry Bird was, more than creating on his own. J.J. Redick wasn't a dribble, 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 find space, step back and shoot. He was run, 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 get the ball, put it up there, which is what Larry Bird did mostly from that corner either the right or the left corner he was deadly from those areas so i agree with ernie jj i am a duke fan i i loved you in college i appreciate you in in as an announcer because he's bluntly honest no matter who he's going against the other day he was going right at Stephen a take some wobbles to do that he does that but i gotta err on ernie's side that larry bird uh is certainly one of the best three-point shooters of all time no ifs and and or or buts yep so gang what do you think do you agree i mean those of you that are from my age or even older like ernie's (laughs) age what do you think or those of you that are younger do you agree that the modern three-point shooter is better than the older three-point shooter check us out Sports Rivals Podcast on IG and Facebook, Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter. We encourage your participation. I am curious to to see where you guys stand. Do you agree with Ernie and I that there is some validity and some good points in what June Jones was trying to say? Or do you agree with Alan and Kool-Aid that he's completely off base, completely out there in outer space, uh, and completely ignorant in his decision-making? I'm very curious because, again, June Jones in the local world of sports is as polarizing as they are you love them or you hate them and there's reasons for both so i'm curious to see again it's sports rivals podcast on ig and facebook sports rivals pod on twitter ernie anything else to go over i'm good all right gang until next week the sports rivals are out Thank you for joining us on the Sports Rivals Podcast. Check us out on social media at Sports Rivals Podcasts on Instagram and at Sports Rivals Pod on Twitter, where you can share topics you'd like to hear. Mm-hmm.